Hey everyone, welcome to Arbitrum Part 2. If you missed the episode earlier today that dropped all about Arbitrum's airdrop and orbit, go listen to that episode first. It's with Harry, it's with Steven, who you're going to hear from in this episode that you're listening to now. They did an episode earlier this morning that we recorded last night uh, on March 16th, like 11 at night. Uh, and then the episode that you're listening to right now, episode two, is all about their thoughts on uh, Z ZK competitive space, MEV on Arbitrum, their thoughts on Ar Arbitrum versus Optimism, Arbitrum versus Coinbase's L2. But I think it's really good context to actually set it up with the episode uh, right before this. So go listen to the episode right before this, then go listen to this episode. Uh, I think that's all you need to know. So let's jump into it. Harry and Steven, welcome to Empire, guys. Thanks. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. There, there's a lot of really good stuff happening in Arbitrum, right? So, so like, I, I want to highlight a few of those. So, like, you processed, I think, last Tuesday, 1.1 million transactions, you know, about 20,000 more than Ethereum L1. I think it was the first time that a layer two blockchain surpassed Ethereum and daily transaction count. You On Wednesday, I think you believe you repeated that. Um, and so maybe give us a quick over update on what, uh, what has happened since we've had you on the pod. There's been a lot of teams building on Arbitrum. There's a lot of excitement. Um, you know, talk to us a little bit about how that process has gone about over the last couple of months. What are the more exciting kind of things that you've seen in the ecosystem? Um, would be kind of great to level set everyone. Yeah, so the Arbitrum ecosystem is, um, I think, a very welcoming place. And that, that stems from us, that we try to welcome teams and work with them to success. Uh, but also the ecosystem as a whole. It's like much, much, much larger than our team. It's very welcoming and open. And we're seeing, we're actually seeing a, so an influx of, well, two things. One is very, very strong projects, particularly in DeFi, but also, uh, you know, Treasure and other uh, in GameFi and NFTs as well. But but particularly in DeFi is probably our strongest uh, um, vertical right now. Very strong projects and, and particularly innovation, right? Take GMX. Um, innovation in DeFi. It's not just like, oh, we're also going to launch this here. You're seeing very innovative projects and um, frankly, projects that people want to use, right? People are excited to to use to use them and, and to use these uh, products and, and, and they actually have real product market fit. And we're also seeing an influx of, of protocols come from other chains. Um, Shoe Arbitrum, uh, you know, Trader Joe, since we last spoke, they did an expansion from Avalanche to Arbitrum. Um, Gains protocol from Polygon did an expansion to Arbitrum, and and now Arbitrum, by the way, uh, has you know is their dominant network in terms of in terms of their uh, their volume. Um, Lyra, which is an options protocol from Optimism, did an expansion to Arbitrum. So we're seeing this convergence around the DeFi ecosystem and DeFi community in Arbitrum, which is um, you know very strong, and and it's not just transaction counts because you know people ask like, you think this is real? Like you know, are, are there other reasons why people are doing transaction counts? So Obviously, I don't have a, you know, um, uh, you know, I'm not inside everyone's head that's using Arbitrum, so I don't know the exact answer and can't tell you, uh, huh, you know, if every, what everyone's motives are, their transactions. But what I can tell you that it's not just one metric going off. It's it's a series of metrics uh, um, that have risen together. And I'll, I'll walk you through those briefly. Number number one is, of course, the transaction gap. Number two is the TVL. So Arbitrum, if you look at DeFi Llama, DeFi TVL, we are... Uh, we've surpassed um, just about all other uh, uh, layer twos that were even side chains. So we, you know, we're about eight hundred million dollars past Polygon at this point. You know, past Avalanche, past Solana, uh, well past Optimism. Right now, it's um, you know, in terms of it's uh, DeFi chains, Arbitrum, BSC, sorry, Ethereum, BSC, Arbitrum. And when it comes to Dex volume, actually, um, so so not not just not that's TVL. When it comes to actually 
volume being transacted in DEXs, we're right now number two to Ethereum. It's just uh, Ethereum. And if you scroll over to the right, you'll see the DEX volume. Um, um, haven't looked at it today, but this is how it's been for the past few weeks. It's been um, Ethereum and then uh, Arbitrum. Although it looks like BSC is, is you know, or is, is slightly edged out today. But over the past week or so, um, Arbitrum has been consistently in the number two spot, but we're right up there with uh, with uh, with BSC as well. Um, and the other metric, which is a fascinating one, is the number of ETH being bridged to Arbitrum. Um, this is one where like L2B tracks this very well. Um, and an interesting fact is Arbitrum has more ETH on it than pretty much all of our competitors combined. So we have more ETH in our protocol than uh, in the Polygon Bridge, Optimism, Starkware, ZK Sync, Immutable X, uh, and more, all of these combined. And we have actually, so uh, we're almost at um, 1 million ETH in Arbitrum. We're about like, you know, we're, we're about to, uh, to, um, hmm. uh, to, to get to that point. And, um, you know, what that means is there, there's real value here. There's real users transacting. And um, so I can't tell you the motives, but it's encouraging to see, you know, the true usage metrics go up as well. And when I checked last week, and I haven't looked at it uh, today, the average trade in Arbitrum <clears throat> was uh, about $1,000. Um, so real users, and not even only whales, but users with, you know, um, you know $1,000 is, is, is a moderate sum, um, but but it's not the yeah. millions you see somebody transact on Ethereum. Um, so it's, you know, real, real usage for real people. What's behind the scenes here? Like uh, we've in this pod, like talk about historically, like it's pretty impressive Polygon from a business development standpoint. Like they, they've managed to convince a lot of, you know, high profile companies build, uh, at least announce that they're going to deploy on Polygon. But we see like these massive reorgs that can like continue to happen. And to your point earlier, like we criticize, like there's a lot of people in the Ethereum community that criticize like Solana outages, but like these reorgs are, you know, not, they're pretty concerning. So I want to get your opinion on, on like that process of BD, how active are you on business development? And, you know, you talk about Reddit. And so I'm really curious to, to get your perspective. Yeah. So, so a few things, first of all, you know, uh, I'm very close to the Polygon team and yeah, their business development team is, is fantastic. Really, really good. And, uh, you know, one thing here is to notice it's, it's, it's actually good for all of us, right? The fact that you have these consumer brands that are embracing crypto is not only helpful for Polygon, so it's helpful for all of us. So I'm actually thankful for them for a lot of the, uh, the work that they're doing in bringing these brands to crypto and, and yeah, definitely they have a fantastic, uh, business development team, uh, in terms of the reorgs um it definitely is a problem and i know it's a problem that you know there, i know there was a large reorg last week and it's a problem that um you know it becomes difficult for apps to you know to, to use but I, I think the team is keenly aware of this problem i think that's one of the reasons why the polygon team is really embracing the roll-up uh the roll-up um uh vision and they're going to be uh you know launching their own roll-up and maybe one day even converting the matic chain uh i don't know their plan exactly to to a roll-up so um, I think it's a validation, basically, of the vision that you know there is something very, very uh, special and uh, strong about roll-up architecture. And um, you know, I don't think that's controversial. I think the Polygon team will will, will be the first ones to tell you, yes, there are um, serious problems with their current technology, and which is why they're uh, investing heavily, you know, in in building roll-up technology uh, as well. But um, yeah, definitely. In turn, in terms of us, yes, we have uh, a comparatively small but very mighty business development team. And, um, you know, uh, the one thing to notice, you know, we don't have, uh, um, all the same resources we don't have a native token. And 
sometimes, you know, we don't really have a grants program. Like all these protocols you see at Arbitrum, I can confirm, like, I've never paid GMX anything, right? I've never paid, um, you know, any DeFi project, anything to launch an Arbitrum. Um, and that's not to say it's bad too. It's just, those aren't resources that we have today. So, um, you know, we, we are competing uh, in the realms that we can. And I think the things that people like with uh, like about us is we have best in class, you know, resources and support. We really try to work at a project to make them successful. I think something that, you know, differentiates us from some other teams, not to name anyone in particular, there are some teams out there that optimize for the announcement. Like we got an announcement, this, uh, this, the project is, is moving to us or this company is launching at us. We don't optimize for the announcement. We optimize for the success. The announcement is day one. And then we day two, once that media cycle has died down, we say, all right, Let's roll up our sleeves and make sure that this is an absolutely successful launch for you. And I think the thing you'll see is all those projects that I mentioned before that come to Arbitrum, they've been very, very successful in Arbitrum. And I'm not going to take credit for it myself. I think that's as an ecosystem we embrace, but you know, our team also does, does as much as we can as well. How much of the, how much of you think of like, there's, there's been speculation about like a token launch, some airdrop happening. Like I feel like pe people are acutely aware of there may be a possibility to get an airdrop. So that is an incentive to come over to Arbitrum. And you've seen an uptick in activity, uh, I think, uh, you know, recently. Um, maybe, what do you, uh, I mean, I'm not asking you to leak alpha here, but what is the, what is the token strategy um, for Arbitrum? Yeah, so so first I'll say is, you know, that's sort of what I was mentioning before around, you know, there's definitely a lot of people that are, uh, that might be, you know, coming for different reasons, but uh, typically, in what I've seen uh, from from those type of users, um, you know, they're doing very small transactions. They're not touching DEXs. So um, the fact that we have like all the key metrics of actual usage metrics up to, up to, up as well is indicative of the fact that there's something you know really up there. This is real usage. Um, but again, you know, I'm not in the heads of all these users. But you know, it's nice to see the correlated metrics. Like if tra if transaction count was way up. Um, or or the, you know or bridging was up, but the or, or the number of people bridging was up, but the value being bridged wasn't up. Right then, I then you know that that I'd probably be concerned like hmm, what's going on here? You know, why are people bridging to this chain and not actually doing anything? The fact that people are bridging significant value and transacting with that value uh, is indicative to us that there is um you know something wrong, uh, something um uh really uh right I should say, uh going going on here. Um, in terms of you know we we've uh, obviously don't have a native token and, and you know can't uh don't really have uh. Uh, too much to share, unfortunately, uh, about our plans there. But what, what I will say is, um, the goal, our goal as as technologists, and and that's where we come from from, from this, right? We're first and foremost a technologist, of course, off chain labs, the business, but we're first and foremost about the technology, about the security. That's why we chose to be in this business, and that's what we care about. That's what we're passionate about. And um, you know, one important question is, how do we get to, uh, you know, how does um, a roll up decentralized and how does a, how does that full decentralization happen? Um, and I think that's uh, the context in which a discussion of a token makes sense in which can this help decentralize the protocol? Can it actually help in building the vision? It shouldn't be a question of like, hey, you know, this will be really good for, for us uh, um, for some other reason. For us, it's always about the technology and the key question we ask is will, you know, for any feature, will this make the product more decentralized, more secure, and actually help deliver in the mission and the vision that we have for a fully trustless layer two? And you know that's how we consider uh, the question about a token and really all their questions in that. And you know there there are obviously some 
know, good arguments both ways there, but that's sort of the framework that we use. Okay. So maybe just a finer point here. So like we talked earlier about decentralizing the sequencer. So in this context, like would having a token make that easier? Like is, is having a token part of the process of decentralizing the sequencer or can you decentralize a sequencer without having a token? Um, yeah, so... And maybe it's a stupid question. No, it's not a stupid question. And, and actually, it's such a good question that, that I'm, you know, I'll tell you the truth. People <laughs> ask me all the time, when are you guys going to decentralize a sequencer? And I'm like 99% sure that like almost everyone asking that question is really asking me when there's a token because they've conflated those. <laughs> when token. Right? <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. When, when, when token. Right. Because like, yeah. these people like don't like. <laughs> I didn't I didn't want to ask it like. No, no, no. It, it, no I'm, saying, <laughs> I'm saying I guess on Twitter, like half the time people say when token, half the time they'll say, when are you going to feed us? And half the time, well, third is like, whatever, you know. <laughs> and then they're not even. Sometimes they'll say. Um, that, that was not Yago's next question. It's like, what, when are you going to. Right, right, right. Exactly. Actually, <laughs> I'll take this as an opportunity for disclosure, guys. There is some bias. I'm an investor in Arbitrum. I'm really close to the team. I'm trying to be very objective here, guys. I'm trying. So I'll ask you actually when you feed you. This is a fun one. We're in Denver now. And um, on Saturday, we've taken over a Shake Shack for the day. So we will be literally feeding our community for the day. <laughs> right. um, but I don't think that's what people uh, are, are, are getting at. Um, the, the um, yeah, so decentralize the sequencer. Um, you know, there are definitely, so there's sort of two parts of this technology. Decentralizing the sequencer means you have more people running the sequencer. So it's not just one party, it's many parties running the sequencer. First of all, I want to mention that also there's a difference between validators and sequencers. Validators are the ones that provide security for the chain. We already have a dozen plus validators and the, removing the whitelist will mean validation is completely decentralized. And that will happen, like I said, in the coming months. Um, so that is the core security property. Decentralizing the sequencer is a bit different. The sequencer in that world doesn't have power to do like push bad transactions or do anything like that. What the sequencer has power to do is to reorder transactions, like it's extract MEV. And so today we don't extract MEV. We tell you we don't, and we really don't. Decentralize the sequencer is a guarantee that we don't, that you can verify. So people often don't realize, that. I think people conflate the open validation with sequencer. We're going to get to the full security point very, very soon. Um, we already have a dozen plus validators. So the validation is already largely decentralized, but it'll be fully decentralized soon. In terms of the sequencer, though, we still, you know, want to get to a point where the sequencer is decentralized. So we have these proofs that we can reorder transactions. Um, so we have a protocol to decentralize the sequencer. So how does you have a bunch of people basically becoming one sequencer? And then the question is, how do you choose who's participating in that, in, in that protocol? So the sequencer maybe now instead of one node, it's just make, choose a number that's nice and fun is 10 nodes, whatever. That's just, you know, for argument's sake. And the question is, how do you choose those 10 nodes? And that's where, um, you know, I think in our case, we probably really want reputable um, companies to 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 uh, take part in this. And there will be that, you know, we really want, you don't just want your sequencer decentralized to uh, 10 people, 10 to 10 anons that like, uh, or anons, however you pronounce that, uh, that you don't actually know, you know, who they are. You want there to be, okay, it's decentralized among reputable, you know, maybe the Ethereum Foundation. I'm not saying they would do that, but like, you know, reputable, parties that you can trust. Um, but there could be a role, and I think this is what people speculate, there could be a role in which a token dis you know, decides who takes place and the, you know, who joins a decentralized sequencer, but it's definitely not necessary to decentralize a sequencer. You can largely decentralize a sequencer by having mm -hmm. many nodes take, but many parties take place in the sequencing, even without a token mechanism to choose who those people are. You could use that, but it's not necessary. Just to kind of quickly highlight and double down on that point, like it's interesting in that sort of like, 
it seems like the general perception publicly is that like oh what does decentralizing the sequencer mean like oh it's just like people like you know the prod you know people being able to pick who the sequencer is but like that's fundamentally like not that interesting because you're still you know you get to vote on who you're trusting but you still are just kind of trusting a single entity as opposed to the kind of like much deeper technical point that steven was talking mentioning which is basically like actually distributing it so that there's not like one elected party everybody trusts there's actually mm. a group of people with a, with a threshold of trust where you could totally have some number of them being fully actively malicious and the system is still strong and holds its properties hmm. can i can we get into mev actually because you guys had a little stuff going down in the uh in the flashbots discord last week that i just wanted to get your take on um I don't know if this is a question for Harry or Steven, but would love to just get your take. I mean, I can explain the situation from from my view of how I saw it, but would love to get maybe one of your takes on MEV, the situation last week in the Flashbots Discord. Would, would love to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, yeah, happy to. It's uh, it was it was an interesting one. Yeah, yeah, um, looked looked enjoyable uh, from your guys. Then <laughs> I think you know one one very interesting. I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of interesting lessons here. Um, one is kind of like even in sort of like a centralized sequencer model with with sort of fair ordering, there are still ways to get advantages with MEV, which is kind of something I think we already knew, but is like uh, relatively subtle. Um, and, and the kind of the the actual situation that arose was that we have this kind of gets a little technical. There are different components of, of Arbitrum and you have the sequencer. It posts transactions and batches to Ethereum, but before it actually posts the batches, it sends out the transactions that it's sequencing on a feed that anybody can subscribe to, and that's how you get to, um, and that's how you get to the uh, the uh, kind of fast confirmations. Um, but it turned out that it was they were being sent out in a random order to all of the people who were subscribing, and so um, we figured out that basically um, there was a huge incentive for backrunners to subscribe tens of thousands of times to the feed um, in the hopes that they would get, they would hear about the already confirmed transactions milliseconds sooner than their competitors and gain an advantage. So, I mean, it really kind of highlights that, that sort of it, there are always these opportunities for, for MEV um, and, and kind of back running as one that, that is kind of, generally a good it's the reason why kind of the you know the decks actually shows the right price because there's an arbitrage opportunity and and somebody will come in and sort it out so that users can actually sort of pay the what whatever the kind of correct price is but it also is like relatively antisocial in that sort of everybody is relatively mercenary and, and out for themselves and trying to do whatever they can to sort of, you know, make as much money as possible. And so it, it's kind of, there are a lot of interesting lessons that we're taking in terms of kind of how to maintain, how to let these sort of negative externalities of MEV extraction, um, mm -hmm. where people try to find corner cases and ways to sort of abuse the system in order to make money, how to sort of design a system where the negative consequences of that don't really like affect sort of a regular person who wants to run a node and subscribe to the feed, but uh, it, you know, they can't because it's being overloaded by searchers. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I feel like one of the pushbacks here was that off-chain labs would be from this PR would, was that off-chain labs would be taking any potential MEV revenue for Arbitrum and giving it to like 
AWS or something farms or something like that and, and keeping it for themselves or instead of the ecosystem. Like that was the narrative I'd say that was getting. I think it wasn't awesome keeping it. I'm, I think. Yeah. No, I know. I, I think that was an overblown thing. It's what when I dug it. I think that was an overblown thing, but it does beg the question of like, what is the solution? Like, do you embed a searcher into the sequencer to and return value uh, that the that the searcher captures and return that value to like eventual token holders or something? So I'm just curious how you think about MEV, not right now, but longer term. A absolutely. And it's definitely something that like we're, we're very interested in. I think kind of the, the thing people reacted to was essentially kind of what we viewed as a short term VIX um, in order to make sure that kind of the the actual quality of service of the system to real users was effective, definitely not like an ideal solution. I think that like fundamentally the idea of sort of capturing um, a significant portion of or as much value as possible from MEV that's being extracted on a chain, that's kind of the, you know, that that's sort of the way Flashbots has been building and doing a lot of interesting work. This particular issue of sort of latency to get transactions doesn't really have a direct parallel um in in most other systems because kind of when you have a well it sort of does but it comes in sort of be having like a distribution of nodes throughout the network so that you hear about transactions sooner as opposed to all transactions coming from a single place so it's kind of a relatively different problem uh, but but in general both for this and for kind of just kind of reducing the degree to which Kind of the other place we have this in our system right now is basically latency races for submitting transactions, which is another area we're kind of working on. And I think, um, Stephen, I think actually like later this week, we're planning on like publishing a research post, um, which kind of discusses the fact that we're kind today. of planning a on. Oh, oh no. <laughs> perfect timing. Um, <laughs> re really cool work trying to basically balance um, the idea of sort of still protecting our users and our number one focus will always be on minimizing MEV and protecting our users from MEV because it's kind of broadly speaking, most types of many types of MEV are, are bad for users, uh, yeah. but there is good MEV and kind of making, seeing how we can design a system to capture that value is, is something very much on our mind. One other thing I want to mention here is I think the process actually worked as it, as it should have. And I don't, I don't think, you know, I think that the narrative was a little bit unfair in some ways, right? So we had this uh, problem and we brainstormed solutions and and our, one of our engineers actually, he create, created a PR, but PRs that even though they get pushed pushed to master for us often don't you know, don't always get merged. He literally went to the Flashbots Discord and said, hey, what do you think? And, you know, asking for feedback on, on that. And, and you know, we got feedback, both on Flashbots and Twitter. And actually, we decided not to do that and to abandon that. But we didn't, you know, we, we explicitly didn't go ahead and, and, and push something without um, community feedback, we, we very much went and solicited feedback and um, and the process worked as, and we got, we heard it yeah. really loud and clear and and we uh, we took that feedback very seriously. But yeah, I don't think people, I don't know, obviously that's, I don't think people saw it from that viewpoint. Uh, totally, totally. Um, and the resolution from that was basically uh, just to say that we're, we're not actually deploying that change now because of the, we, right. We, we are holding it out as a, if we need to, we will. But for now, we have kind of other workarounds. Uh, yeah. and, and need to will basically be sort of, can sort of the non-MEV ecosystem continue to have a good experience using the chain is sort of the most important principle. Um, yeah. um I want to uh, tee you up, Stephen, or, or Harry, to talk about Stylus and what you guys are building with like Stylus or EVM Plus. But I have one, maybe like, uh, related question before, which is, um, Stephen, when you were talking about optimism, it kind of, in the beginning of this episode, it made me think about like kind of the two different strategies you guys are taking 
um, on the developer side of things. And uh, it seems like you guys are looking to support more like web two developer languages to like onboard more devs. And instead of going modular, uh, you guys have spun out Arbitrum Nova as like this completely separate, this is my understanding, I might be wrong here, but like as this completely separate chain for like social apps and gaming apps, whereas Optimism is going for this more like modular narrative with with Bedrock. And I'd be curious to hear like, A, am I even right there? But B, uh, is that like, what what's the rationale behind that strategy? Yeah, I think there are two pieces. So yeah, so we do have, like you said, two uh, layer two chains that are on Ethereum today. Um, but we will and, you know, have and actually, you know, we'll, we'll announce our first partnership here probably in the next week or two. Um, but there will be um, a, you know, a, a healthy ecosystem of layer three chains, we call them on Arbitrum, or these application specific chains built on Arbitrum one. So uh, in terms of that, you know, we'll have, you can call that modular, the same modular, modular vision of having many chains uh, anchored onto the Arbitrum one chain. So I don't think there's actually a, a difference there. Uh, Arbitrum uh, Nova, we decided, um, you know, for um, specific reasons, you know, uh, specifically uh, for the partners that wanted to bridge very fast directly to, to Ethereum, we decided to launch on top of Ethereum, but we will have um, a blossoming ecosystem of layer three chains and we're ready, you know, um, we'll be in a position to announce the first uh, first of these, you know, quite quite soon. Um, yeah, so so that's, that, that's you know, I don't think that there's a, there's a big difference there. And in terms of, so, you know, the expanding our technology to developers, that's that's additive in all this. So both on the Arbitrum one chain and on every other of these chains that are launched on top of us or our Arbitrum Nova, they'll all get, you know, if they use the Arbitrum technology, they'll all get the ability to, um, if they just choose to include it, to, uh, to have this um, diversified developer support. Yeah. Stylus is one of the coolest things I think I've seen in terms of like onboarding more developers. My understanding is that, um, so through these like WebAssembly smart contracts, users are going to be able to deploy uh, programs on Arbitrum written in their favorite programming languages like Rust or C or C++ that run to, to run those alongside EVM, uh, EVM programs on Arbitrum. So I'd love to just hear that. Like that's my very basic understanding of it, but would love to hear what you guys are building with EVM Plus and and uh, and Stylus. Yeah, I know Stephen loves talking about Stylus. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Stephen's. I, I, I was just, I, I, you know. All right, I'll I'll do the overview, and then if you have, if you once you ask, yeah, yeah, Harry, yeah, Harry yeah. can uh, can fill the details. <laughs> um, you know, the idea is basically EVM is 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 great. And you know we are the most EVM compatible or equivalent or, or or whatever term you want that that you can that you can be right. So building an Arbitrum today is exactly like building on Ethereum, other than it's a lot cheaper in terms of the developer experience. Um, both, you know, on the surface and under the hood, exactly the same. And the question that we asked ourselves is, that's great, and we're going to keep that always. But is that our limit? And I believe the answer to that is no. I think EVM compatibility is the floor, not the ceiling. That's the foundation and the base that we need, but there's so much more that we can do. And the principle here is one of inclusivity, right? I think people like, uh, you know, myself included, you know, it's hard this week, I'm in Denver, there are 25,000 people here. So you've got this impression that like uh, the entire world knows about crypto and we have taken over the world, but it's not true. If you zoom out just a little bit, uh, you see that the crypto community is still very, very small. Even among the technical community, crypto is a very small community. And the question is, can we, uh, embrace those people and particularly can we do it in a way where we bend to them but don't ask them to bend to us that is we make affordances that say hey you're a developer or you're an enterprise with development teams that have support in traditional languages we're going to make our technology work for you 
and make it easier for you to build on Arbitrum, build on Web3, rather than say, hey, retrain your team or hire new developers. And it's not only about the talent, it's also about the libraries. Like you might have some great Rust support or, or libraries that you want to run, but you, you know, rewrite those in, in EVM is not something, you know, that we, that, that, you know, that, that we want to say. Again, EVM is fantastic and it's, it will always be our uh, foundation. But the question is, are there more affordances that we can, that we can build? And particularly, can Arbitrum, the layer twos generally be a breeding ground for innovation where we don't say, okay, we're the same as Ethereum and that's where we want to be. We say, we are, we support everything Ethereum does. And now let's see, how can we make it even better? Because, you know, the vision is, this is a vision that's like, you know, basically a meme at this point. We want to get to the next billion users. But my thesis is to get to the next billion users, we need to get to the next million developers. And to get to the next million developers, we're going to have to build affordances that allows them to use both their knowledge and their tooling that they already have. And so what we're doing with Stylus is we are um, going to be adding uh, initially C and C++ and Rust support. These are three programming languages, three popular programming languages support. And so you'll be able to write your smart contracts, not only in Solidity and EVM languages, that's not going to change, right? If your contracts are written already or you want to continue writing EVM, and I'm sure many people will, and we will support that, uh, of course, that's not going to change. But if you want to write in Rust and, and, or C and C++, you'll be able to do that as well. And this is a big change because today there are chains that support Rust. Like Solana, for example, supports Rust. But it's a binary decision. You're like, do I want to go on the EVM chains or do I want to go on the Rust chains? And this decision that I want people to make is, wait, I want to choose the ecosystem I want to be in. I want to be in the Arbitrum ecosystem. And I don't want my decision point to be, do I want to build in Rust or EVM languages, Solidity or Move? I want to first choose my ecosystem and then any language I want that I can use. And there's one added benefit here, which is um, as uh, almost a side effect, but uh, you know, really core to what we're doing, building, you know, using some of these affordances, like building these languages are just much more performant than the EVM. So you'll be able to get like a 10x uh, increase in performance by doing that. So what that might mean is you might have an EVM uh, or Solidity app in Arbitrum today, and you'll say, hey, there's this one piece, maybe it's like cryptographic code that's like really expensive. So let me actually just take that piece out you know, rewrite that in Rust or call out to a Rust library. And now my whole contract is more efficient, which means my users pay less. I use less gas, which means the chain has more capacity because if everyone's using less, we can fit more into the same amount of space. And I think that is, you know, as we scale that, you know, it's basically another factor of 10 in our scale. Because if you imagine everyone moves over to using these affordances, now we can we've 10x the capacity of our chain without actually using any more resources um, from Ethereum. So a lot of different angles, one the inclusivity angle, one the scaling angle, and um, one just you know giving developer a better 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 experience, um, yeah. That that's basically the motivating uh, mm -hmm. what's motivating this this uh, upgrade. But again, EVM support is not going to change. Is not going anywhere. So if my thesis is wrong and no one wants this, nothing will change, right? Everything will work exactly. I think that people will want this. But the point is, I have a feeling it's a good good thesis, even for what it's, uh, <laughs> what it's worth. <laughs> yeah, we invested a lot. I mean, like we've we've had it. To be fair, like we've had other chains and like other networks and they've admittedly said, look, the tooling is not there. Uh, like Cosmos, for instance, like, you know, great tech, but they sort of would tell you we need we need to go a long way in sort of making it easier for developers to come on board. And there's just a whole segment of developers that understand these other languages that would just expedite the process for them to start getting interested in writing um, and building stuff. So I, I, I agree with Jason here. I think it's fairly positive. Um, who, who do you guys see? Do you see 
like Coinbase's L2 and Optimism and like the L other L2s as your main competitors? Or do you see like Solana and Avalanche and like alternative L1s as your main competitor? Who do you think of as like when you hit the whiteboard? Yeah, so Harry and I may have different answers here. I'll answer you from the sort of uh, partnership BD perspective. Um, sure. You know, what I view the main competitor basically is when I'm talking to a project, you know, who else are they considering building on, right? That, that's, right. that's uh, you know, from a technical perspective, it might be whose technology is closest to us. But from, you know, a, a an ecosystem uh, growth perspective, it's, you know, what choices are you considering? And I think the, the probably the one, the, the ones that we see most are people, are people are either coming to us or Polygon. Those are um, most of the, the conversations that we see today. Um, so in some sense, we're competing with team, you're competing uh, for Polygon with Polygon for teams, but again, you know, it's, uh, a very friendly competition and, you know, we have great respect for the Polygon team and a uh, really good relationship with them. Harry, hmm. I, 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 I have an answer that's not, <laughs> which yes. is, <laughs> our, our greatest competitor is ourself. Like, I feel like we're constantly kind of like driving ourselves forward, like, you know, being dissatisfied with just like things we've had to do and areas we can improve. Like, I don't think we want to like, I don't think we're, we're opening up, you know, working to open up validation because of competitive pressure. I think we're working to do it because it's the thing that the damn thing we've wanted to do for like four years now and we're excited to do it. The reality is, I think you, you said, Stephen, and we heard this from the Coinbase guys too, is like, to think about competition now, it's kind of really stupid because there's like 10 users. Yeah. And like, so like if, if everyone acquires business doing the BD efforts and brings on an incremental user, then it's that positive because I guess the, the question here is multi-chain deployment is, is you need to believe that that's going to be the case, right? Like, like the Trader Joe example you mentioned. The Lyra example, like a lot of these teams, as you mentioned earlier, may have deployed in another L2 or another L1. And eventually, if the users are there, they're going to want to come to Arbitrum, right? They're going to want to have a footprint there. And I think the best, if you invert and you believe that to be true, then you go out and acquire as many users. You don't really kind of focus on, because that, that's the thing. I think I think fundamentally, historically in crypto, we've talked a lot about like acquiring this like circle of 10 yeah. whales, whereas real game is how do we get the million 10 to 100 million users because then there's a lot to go around right i think everyone wins in that scenario unless of course to your point harry and steven is if your chain's not secure then go home pack up your shit and go like yeah you know what i mean like i i agree I've been um yeah i completely agree and like i said you know i cheer every time i see polygon have like a big BD win where a consumer brand comes because it just means that there's more knowledge of our industry and whether they're on Polygon or an Arbitrum or not Polygon now, but you know maybe they'll be on Arbitrum one day. Like that to me is a win for our industry and that's what we need. We need that, you know, particularly in the post FTX, there's so much like people look and just say like, they think they can't differentiate. They just think this is all bad. Some people, and they're obviously in my opinion, very incorrect, but the idea that we get more mainstream adoption is, is a win for our entire industry. And in some sense, um, you know, we, we all rise together. I want to get your thoughts on um, ZKs. Obviously, we look at pictures of ETH Denver. It's all the rage. Every it, like, The room is full. Everyone has a strategy. You guys have been relatively quiet, although I think you we've talked about this in the prior episode. I'm curious to get your thoughts on like the evolving landscape of zero-knowledge proofs and 
CK rollups, and there's a bunch of teams. It's a it's a term that gets thrown around very like loosely, but I think there are many distinctions. So maybe just spend like the last you know last like ten minutes talking about zks. What's all the rage? What's your strategy if there is one? And then we can go from there. Yeah. So a, a few things. One, you know, we have nothing against zk or zk proofs. Um, you know, if you look at my research history, I, I, I've, I, I've been researching yeah, and doing work in zk and cryptography generally um, for you know goes back to probably twenty. 13 or so. Um, that being said, um, so, the, and, and, you know, one other thing is, I think that differentiates us from some of our competitors. If you look at the name of our company, we're Off-Chain Labs, right? I think just about every other one of our competitors has their particular technology built into their name. That could be like um, Optimism, or it could be ZK Sync, or Starkware. And again, a lot of these are fantastic teams, but the idea is that you know, we come to this problem and say, we want to solve the problem with the best tools available today. We're going to not come here and say, hey, you know, if you, if you, if you have a plumber come to your house, you wouldn't want someone showing up to your door and saying, um, here's a, a wrench. This is what I'm using to fix. You say, don't, don't you want to take a look at the problem first? Maybe, maybe the wrench isn't the right tool. It's like, no, uh, whatever your problem is, I'm going to fix it with this wrench. I think that's the wrong approach here. I think our, our goal is to say, we need to bring scale to users. And by the way, we need to bring scale to users today. And we're bringing scale to users today. And we need to do that using the best and most secure tech possible today. And that is, you know, indisputably today, um, Arbitrum uh, and Arbitrum's particular flavor of optimistic rollup. Um, and we're happy to innovate. And if ZK proofs come to a time where I think that they are cost competitive, which I don't believe they are today, because the proving costs are going to be much larger than our costs, when they're compatible, which they're not today, because, you know, EVM, um, is not built to be in a circuit and you have all sorts of incompatibilities, both in terms of gas accounting, you know, things that are expensive in circuits are cheap in the EVM, like hashing and vice versa. And you just have a developer experience that that's different. And, you know, often these uh, protocols will have a small laundry list of, of incompatibilities or things that differ between EVM and the compatibility is not there. And, um, even to the extent that they are there, by the way, there's, in my opinion, no path that these projects can realistically get to anything like Stylus, where they, you know, the extent that they're getting EVM support is because they're very hard, much hard coding decisions now in their circuitry to get them to tailor to the EVM, to get something general like Stylus that allows us to, to, to add more programming languages, I don't think is there today. So there's cost and there's compatibility. And then there's just our, our future vision, which are currently not compatible um, with the ZK technology as we know it, as we see it. And I think we're uh, significantly far away from that. But if that changes, I'm not going to eat my words. I'll be happy, you know, uh, you know, and we, you know, and, and we will happily embrace that technology. You know, anecdotally, anecdotally, the one of the key innovations in the Arbitrum research paper, which was uh, Princeton, we published at Princeton in 2018 at the Usenix Security Conference, was what we call the Arbitrum Virtual Machine or the AVM. And when we launched um, in, in August of 2021, that was powering our fraud proofs, the Arbitrum virtual machine. Um, when we launched Nitro a year later, we retired the AVM completely. So this thing, which was like the you know uh, crown jewel of our research, we said it served its purpose, but we've built something better now. So that thing, which I can confirm, Harry, myself, and Ed literally spent years working on, and it was a it's a work of art. And from an academic perspective, it's extraordinarily elegant. But we had the realization and said that's you know we have something that's actually simpler and actually works better. And we can build our fraud proofs in a way that also allows us to extend them in more ways and be more performant and use uh, um, you know, uh, more standard tooling. And so we're going to retire that. And there was no one happier to retire that than me. And, and probably Harry was also. 
<laughs> it was great. And the point is, um, you know, we're happy to continue to innovate and build our technology. You know, we're we're scaling up, right? We have a team of, you know, a, a, a large research team, large engineering team is only getting larger because we're saying, we're not saying, all right, let's pat ourselves on the back. We built this, we're done. We're saying, how do we get even better? And one of the fallacies I think people make with ZK, they like to compare the state of Arbitrum today with some futuristic state of ZK. And as we evidenced in Arbitrum Nitro, that big upgrade we made, Arbitrum is not staying still. We're not stagnant. So you either have to compare ZK today to Arbitrum today, and it's clear that Arbitrum is the winner there. It exists. It's secure. It's providing real value to users today. Or you can compare Arbitrum in you know the future, a year or two or three or four or five from now, with ZK at the same time, and Arbitrum won't look like it does today at that time. And and frankly, you know, I'm actually looking forward to the launch of, of you know the ZK EVM chains. I think, like I said, I have nothing against their technology. I'd like to see how they perform. And it'll be the first time where users can actually do a direct comparison because right now it's a comparison between a live system with all the baggage that comes with having a live system. You actually can pin yourself to a metric and a quarter to a PowerPoint tweet presentation that just speaks about you know what will come in the future. But now we'll have an apple to apple comparison. And my, my, my expectation is that we'll fear quite well. And as the, again, but there are fantastic teams that are building here and there are no, there are no question make innovation over time. I don't personally think we're there yet, but you know, if it comes to the point where where we are, we will um, just like we abandoned the AVM, and just like you know, we will absolutely say, all right, there's something better here. We don't have ego about that, and we'll contribute to that future. And we are contributing to that future. We have a research team that's that's looking very closely at you know, ZK and other technologies. And just to, to close out, what I can guarantee you is, in five years from now, Arbitrum will look nothing like. Um, you know, it, it does today from a technology perspective. I don't know what it will look like, but we'll have five years of research and innovation and hopefully community participation of making Arbitrum a much stronger and better and decentralized pro product. And there's no question, just look at what we accomplished in the last year and a half. There's no question in a five-year horizon, we're going to reinvent ourselves and be so, so, so much better from a security perspective, from a usability perspective. You know, we're going to have everything that's just far improved. And will that include ZK? Maybe. I don't know. I will include whatever we believe to be the best technology to bring that vision. I don't have a, I'm not, I'm not coming here and saying I need to use this wrench. I'm saying I need to solve this problem. I know the solution today and I'm working on saying, how do we make that solution even better? Guys, you guys are, uh, it's, it's been amazing to see everything that you've built. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, Arbitrum sitting at fourth for TVL right now across all chains, third for volume. It's been super cool to see just how quickly you've grown and uh, how you guys have not just helped build Arbitrum, but I think built the entire on-chain ecosystem. So keep it up. I uh, I will definitely miss my flight right now. So I need to jump and uh, I'll see you guys Thank later. You. Thanks, Thanks so much, guys.